All right, guys. Well, thank you for coming tonight. I know it was tempting to go trick-or-treating, but you came to Chi Alpha. Praise God. I wasn't sure if anyone would come tonight, so I was glad to see you all here. But uh, yeah, so around three years ago, our Chi Alpha did this, uh, just this hot chocolate outreach on the hill. And I wasn't here, but I've heard the story many times. Actually, Rachel McClellan organized this event, and uh, they're handing out hot chocolate to students as they came out of the bars. And uh, yeah, so maybe they thought that was creepy, but I think it was a blessing and super nice. But, but there's a guy who passed out on the, supposedly on the hill. So like I said, I wasn't there. But he passed out. His friends were there with him, and then his friends ditched him because they're afraid that they're going to get caught. So they were underage drinking, and they didn't want to get caught by the cops. So the, the friend passed out, and they ditched him. Like, how lame is that? And then Matt McClellan, because he's just got a super good heart, calls the police for him, and I think things got better from there, if I'm not positive. But anyways, I told this story because I think that's far too common for us. Like, oftentimes we have friends who we think are there for us, but then when push comes to shove, they ditch us. Like, when it's going to inconvenience them, then they're out, then they run out. And tonight I want to talk about how God has called us to be there for each other. And I wonder how many of us in this room have friends like that guy had, that just, they're superficial, you never talk about things that are deeper than surface level, and when push comes to shove, they're not there for you. Or maybe you have great friends. Hopefully you do if you're in Chi Alpha and you're committed to this community. Hopefully you've found great friends who are there for you. The Bible paints a compelling picture of how we are supposed to be there for each other. We are called to be intensely and almost weirdly interested in each other's lives. You know, we've grown up in America, so it's like, you do you, I'll do me. Don't ask me an actual serious question. Let's just small talk all day about the NFL and the weather. But the Bible calls us to be intensely interested in each other's lives and, and to watch out for each other. We're called to encourage each other, and at the same time, we're called to challenge each other when we're getting off in our faith. So our prayer is that you could have these types of friends in Kyle, who encourage you, these friends who are there for you, these friends who actually know about your life, they know about what goes on in your heart, and at the same time, they still love you. I always say, I always say that, that God has called us to be a community who fully knows one another, but at the same time, we actually love each other. We still love each other. Like, you know all the junk about each other, but at the same time, you still deeply love one another. So tonight, we're concluding our Together series, uh, which has been a series on community, as you can see in the video, and the community that, that God has called us to be as Chi Alpha on the campus of UNI. In the first week, we talked about, we kind of did a 3,000-foot view of what our community should look like. So I talked about four different commitments that God has called us to have as a community. So the first one was a commitment to the Word of God. So we want the Word of God to be our guidepost. We want the Word of God to guide everything we do. And when I say the Word of God, I'm talking about the Bible. So we want the Bible to be our guide as a community and also in our personal lives. The second thing was we're committed to the people of God. So the Bible, the Scriptures, call us to have a deep love for each other within the church. Now, we're supposed to love everyone. You're supposed to love everyone outside of the church, too, but there's supposed to be this deep, unique love within the church between fellow disciples. So we are committed to the people of God. The third thing is we're committed to the Spirit of God. We believe that the Holy Spirit moves today, that the Holy Spirit is moving across the earth today, and he empowers us to operate in spiritual gifts, and he uh, and Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, we believe that those things are for today. So the third thing was committed to the Spirit of God, and the fourth thing is we're committed to the mission of God. So we're not just committed to each other, but at the same time we're committed to the people outside these walls who do not call themselves followers of Jesus. And, and God has called us to go to them and share the gospel with them, hoping and praying that they would put their faith in Christ and be saved. 
And then last week, we talked about how God calls us to be, to be a welcoming community, how God has called us because Jesus welcomed us when we weren't very lovely, and we were pretty unlovely. It says we're enemies of God in the scriptures before we come to know Jesus. At the same time that each of us were enemies, Jesus comes to us and makes us a friend. So because Jesus did that for us, we can be welcoming to people outside the family of God. We're called to be welcoming and to invite them into our community. We don't want to exclude people because they're different or because they believe different things, but God has called us to be a welcoming community. And now tonight, we're going to be a one another community. So if you throw up the slide here, this is our title tonight, a one another community. And the reason I say that phrase, uh, just one another, is the Bible uses this phrase over and over again, calling us to encourage one another, to be there for one another, and so on and so forth. So God has called us to be a community who is there for each other, just no matter what happens, and a community who pushes each other towards Jesus. So if you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to read out a, the book of Acts again. It's like the sixth time this year. It just uh, so happens that we're there again. And we're in chapter 14, and we're going to read two verses tonight, verses 19 and 20. Do not get ahead of me and read those on your own, okay? I want to read it as a community. But so while you're turning, I just want to say that I'm glad you're here. If you're a new student tonight, I hope I get a chance to meet you after service. And I hope you feel loved here. That's one of our big prayers is that you could come, you could be yourself, that you could feel like you're at home and that you're loved in this place. And if you're back, I want to say, again, thank you for coming back. I know it's Halloween, so it's a blessing to have you here tonight. So as I said, we've been in the book of Acts a lot this year. And Acts is the second half of a two-part book. So the Gospel of Luke is actually the first half of Acts. So they're one book. It's Luke-Acts. And, and the author, Luke, wrote both of these books. And, and uh, so Luke is the story of Jesus and his ministry. And then the book of Acts tells the story of what his disciples did after Jesus left the earth. And in Acts 14, Paul and his friend Barnabas, that's just a cool name, Barnabas, he's an encourager, super nice guy. You know those people who are just super warm and encouraging? That's Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas are taking the gospel to new communities, and they're starting churches all over the Roman Empire. And in verse 10, Paul heals a crippled man who had never walked. Then the people of Lystra tried to worship Paul and Barnabas, okay? They're like, wow, you guys healed this dude, like, bow down to Paul and Barnabas, and they called Paul Hermes, because he was the communicator, and they believed in the Greek gods, okay? And then they called Barnabas Zeus. And Paul and Barnabas, being zealous people for God, quickly tried to rebuke them and tell them, hey, don't worship me, and said, worship Jesus. And then in verse 9, the Jews come in, and they persuade the crowds to turn on Paul. So let's read it. Verse 19 and 20. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But then when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. The dude gets stoned, and then he gets up and he keeps ministering. And to think about the things we complain about and the reasons why we can't minister. All right. Jesus, rebuke us tonight. Thank you. All right. So Paul gets rewarded for healing man by getting stoned. What a crazy turn of events. So the main idea tonight is this, if you're taking notes, is this. We are called to follow Jesus together while continually encouraging one another towards Jesus. All right, let's pray over that tonight. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that two verses can speak volumes. And tonight I pray that your word would come alive to us and that it would pierce our hearts. God, I pray that there's any spiritual strongholds in this room where Satan is preventing us from being all that you've called us to be. I pray tonight that you would crush those strongholds in Jesus' name, and I pray that you would draw us to yourself.
God, I pray that these scriptures would encourage us and inspire us and challenge us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so two points tonight, and it just worked out where this happened on Halloween. I did not plan it this way, but we're going to talk about Satan tonight, okay? So the first point is this. Satan wants to knock you out. Satan wants to knock you out. So this passage paints a clear picture that there's an adversary who wants to take us out, and that adversary is the devil. And although he's not explicitly mentioned in this passage, I find it interesting that just right after Paul and Barnabas heal a man, then this band of opposers show up and they stone Paul. Satan sees that Paul and Barnabas are winning this the city to Jesus, and he influences people to stone him and to try to take him out. So if Satan's attacking you, typically it's a sign that you're doing something right. Paul was doing something right, so he was then stoned. So the first thing that the Lord wants us to get tonight is that each of us have an enemy, the devil, who wants to take us out. And we can't be naive to this. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we cannot overlook this fact that if you're a follower of Jesus, and especially if you're a serious follower of Jesus who's pushing back the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light, Satan wants to take you out, just as he tried to take Paul out. Has anyone here read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis? Probably a few, okay? There's a few. That's a really good book. You should read it. Uh, It's fascinating. This book is a series of fictional letters from a senior demon named Screwtape to his nephew Wormwood. Some cool names right there. And the uncle is trying to mentor uh, the nephew in how to secure the damnation of a British man. He's trying to say, hey, this is what you should do to take him away from God's calling for his life. And in this book, Lewis points out two different errors that each of us have when it comes to demons. Okay, so let's read the quote. There's two equal and opposite errors into which we, or to which our race can fall into about the devils. And one is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel this excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both of these errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So we often fall into these two different extremes. Either we don't talk about demons at all or we give them too much credit. Like we either Don't give them any credit. We say they're not behind anything, or we say they're behind every single bush. Like one bad thing happens, I get sick, it must be a demon. Like I stubbed my toe, it must be a demon. I didn't get that parking spot, it must be a demon. Sometimes we do that. But there's another extreme, too, where we don't even acknowledge their existence. We just think it's all ourself that's preventing us from being what God's called us to be in part. Like a lot of it is self, okay? So we talk about self way more than we talk about Satan here. But there is a piece of it where Satan is trying to prevent you from being, what, being the person that God's called you to be. And in the scriptures, we see that the writers, they don't attribute every single negative thing to Satan, but they do acknowledge his role in the world. And, and the writers urge the believers to fight against him in the spiritual realm through prayer, fasting, and other spiritual weapons. So in 1 Thessalonians 2, it's just one example. And tomorrow night and on Thursday, you're going to look at this text in small groups some more. It says this about Satan. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person and not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. 
So we see that Satan hindered Paul and his companions from coming to see the Thessalonians. That's not something we would probably attribute to Satan most of the time. But Satan was behind preventing them from getting to where they were supposed to go. So Satan is behind some activities. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul urges the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God. You probably, if you've been in Sunday school or if you grew up in church, you probably have put on a shield or a helmet or something and did the armor of God thing. But he says, put on the whole armor of God and and resist the devil in his schemes. And in verse 11 and 12, says this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able, or be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All right, so you see Satan is behind some things. And then in the book of James, well, this is the last one we'll read about Satan. It says this in verse 7 and 8. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So James exhorts us and, or to resist the devil and assures us that if we do, then he will flee and have uh, no power over us. So tonight, God wants you to know that there's an enemy who wants to take you out. He wants you to fall away from your faith. He wants you to reject God. He wants you to choose God's stuff over God himself. He wants you to follow other ideologies and not the ideology of the scriptures in Christianity. Satan wants to take you away from God's calling for your life. If I had to put myself into either of these camps of either focusing too much on the devil or not focusing enough, I'd say I probably don't acknowledge his existence enough, personally. Like, I'm just kind of a, like a dude that doesn't get weird and do that kind of stuff. And I don't acknowledge it a lot of times, but as I look back over my life, I can see significant periods where Satan was attacking me. And two specifically come to mind. The first one is when I began to really follow Jesus in 2011. So I had grown up in church, I'd been a Christian, but there's this experience that happened where I began to go all in in my faith. And I experienced some things that were from the Holy Spirit. I talk about the Holy Spirit and how he works today. And I experienced these powerful experiences, like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where God just unlocked some things in my life. And then all of a sudden, there came around me some Christian friends, okay, who began to tell me that these things were not of God. And I began to question, is this from God? You know, I had found freedom for, or from pornography through these experiences. I had found power in witnessing. But these friends were saying, are you sure that's of God? Are you sure that's of God? It sounds a little bit like Satan, although they weren't trying to be used by Satan. They had good intentions. But I feel like Satan was spiritually attacking me there. And then there's another example. In 2015, I came back to Cedar Falls to lead you and I, Kai Alpha. It was my first year as the director. And during that first fall, I experienced this intense loneliness. Intense. The most, the most, probably the most lonely I've ever been in my life. It, for me, it felt like there was no one in my same circumstance. I was 22 years old and the lead pastor of a ministry of people who were the same age as me, pretty much. So I couldn't find people who were on the same place where I was. And I felt intensely lonely. And I'll talk about it in a little bit how... Jesus helped me get out of both of these experiences. But my question for you is, how does Satan attack you? Can you think of anything? Can you think of any times in your life where Satan had been attacking you? I can think of a few different ways that Satan attacks all of us. So I'm going to go through them tonight. I'll go through quickly. Take notes on these. I think these are from the Holy Spirit. So the first way is this. Satan tempts us, and, he, and Satan wants us to sin. That's the first way he attacks us. It's the most obvious way, I think, out of all the different ways I'll talk about. So he tempts us to be jealous. He tempts us to be greedy. He tempts us to be angry. He te- 
or tempts us to have sex outside marriage, and so forth. He wants us to allow these things into our lives so that God's call for our lives could be cut off, so that God, or so that our intimacy with Jesus could be cut off. You know, Matthew 4, it's a, it's a fascinating story about Jesus being tempted by the devil, and we can see some universal ways in which uh, Satan tempts us through these verses. So in verse 1 through 3, it says this, Then Jesus uh, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then command these stones to become loaves of bread. So Satan tries to get Jesus to choose bread over God. He tries to persuade us to shortchange God's processes in our lives and his work in our lives and to accept the counterfeit over the reality. He, for Jesus, he tried to get for Jesus to turn the stones into bread and to shortchange what God was doing through that season of fasting. And he tries to do the same thing in our lives. He asks us questions like, did God really tell you not to do that? Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? He tempts us by saying, how close can you get to the line of sin? Because Satan wants to shortchange what God is doing in our lives. All right, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Satan tries to attack us with shame. That's why Jason's word tonight was very, very relevant. He tries to question our identity in Christ. He tells us that God couldn't or could never love us. He says things like, would God really love someone who struggles with something like that? Are you sure that you're saved? So Matthew 4, verse 5 and 6, this is the second way that the devil tempts Jesus. He takes him to a holy city and he sets Jesus on the pinnacle of the temple and he says to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So Satan urges Jesus and says, prove that you are the Son of God. If you really are the Son of God, then throw yourself down and God will save you. Make God prove that he loves you. If he really loves you, then he'll save you if you throw yourself down. And Satan says to us, he says, if you're really son, or God's son or daughter, then how could you struggle with that? Are you sure that you're the son or daughter of God? Are you sure, just as he says to Jesus, if you really are the son of God, then throw yourself down. The third way tonight is this, other gods. Satan tries to get us to worship other gods, and that doesn't look like Buddha, doesn't look like Allah. It could be, but for most of us, it's probably things like you know, consumerism and money, or sex, our own cultural ideologies. He says, bow down at these altars and worship these things over me. Put things above my will for your life. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 through 10 says, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it's written that you shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only shall you serve. Which altar are you worshiping at? Which altar are you bowing down to tonight? Is it the altar of sex? Is it the altar of money? Is it the altar of academic achievement? Is it the altar of your resume? What are you bowing down to? Jesus is very stingy. He says, You can only worship me. You can't have me and other things. He says, Me alone. And Satan wants us to worship other things. All right, the fourth thing. Spiritual idleness. 
In other words, wrong priorities, busyness, and indifference towards God. So this is an, or another way that Satan attacks us is he tries to get us to rearrange our priorities. He tries to get us to put school, popularity, video games, or resumes, or any host of things above our relationship with God. He tries to get us distracted. He tries to get us really busy. He tries to get us to be indifferent towards God and his purposes for our life. We start skipping our time with Jesus to pursue these other things, or because we're busy, we start skipping our time with community because we're busy, we're tired, we're distracted, and then these other things begin to take precedence in our lives. And this is the last way that Satan attacks us. I think this is very relevant for us. False teaching. And there's other ways too. These are just the things I thought of as I prayed this week. Satan tries to, or to draw us away from sound teaching. He tries to get us to build our theology and our beliefs about God, sin, and the world on either what culture says or what we want. He says, you know, try to make it fit with culture. He tries to get us to twist the scriptures. If Satan can get us to think wrongly about God, then he can have his way in a number of other ways in our lives. And Paul prophesied about this temptation of the church to stray from, false te- or from true biblical teaching in 2 Timothy. He says this in verse 3 and 4. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul prophesies about what's happening in the church today where people seek out teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. I'm going to find the church that tells me what I want to hear instead of the church that tells me what the Bible says. I'm going to find the church that says my sin's okay. That's the way that Satan is attacking our world today. Probably one of the most powerful ways that he's attacking the American church as we speak. False teaching. The scriptures have to guide our lives. It's our only foundation. We have to resist this urge to accumulate for ourselves teachers who suit our passions. And we have to remain committed to the word of God above everything else. So the first point again tonight is Satan wants to knock you out. Satan wants to take you out. But the beautiful thing, all right, it gets better. We talked about Satan for a little bit. Now it's going to get good. Is God has not left us defenseless against Satan's schemes. Like Satan's nobody compared to the people of God. Satan's nobody compared to the Spirit of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says that God has given us the armor of God to withstand the devil These things include truth and righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the spirit, the word of God, and prayer. But we also see this other vital piece of fighting against the devil throughout the scriptures, and this is what is in our text today. So the second point is this. This is the main way I want you to get tonight that each of us can fight Satan in his schemes. The people of God are here to pick you up. So when you get knocked down like Paul did, the people of God are here to pick you up. The people of God are here to help you fight the devil and his schemes. If we want to effectively fight off the devil and get back up when we've been pushed down, we need the people of God. We cannot do this life alone. We cannot do the Christian life by ourselves. There's no such thing as an individual, individualistic following of Jesus. Since the very beginning of the church, following Jesus has been a communal effort. Disciples follow Jesus together by learning the word of God together, by spending time with each other, by encouraging one another, by seeing the glory and power of God together and taking care of each other's needs. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. It's the third time I've read this during this series because I think it's really important. Let's read it. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
and not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So one of our callings as followers of Jesus is to stir each other up by, by coming together regularly. Coming together. This is why we do Kyle for every Tuesday. Even on weeks when I'm tired, we still do it. Because it's important. Because God's called us to be together, to stir each other up. Guys, we need each other to pick each other up when we're down. We need this encouragement that happens in this space and happens in our small groups. We need that. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. We read this at our wedding. Me and Emily did, but it applies to us as well. It says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. I think we need to start saying that more. Fellow. <laughs> but then woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Guys, we need each other to pick each other up when we are down. And I love what our text says in verse 20. It's just beautiful. It says, But then when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. It's like they gathered about him. He's down there. He's like stoned, like not the pot stone, but you know, hit with rocks. And, uh, and he gets up. I feel like it's like the Avengers. And they just start walking back in the city like, bring it on. Bring it on. I got the people of God with me. Come on, we're ready. It's beautiful. He was able to get up because he had some people who were there for him, his friends who would gather about him. And we all need this, guys. Every one of us, including myself. Guys, I have pastors across our state who are there to encourage me. Pastors who pick me up when I'm down. We all need this. There's no one here who can graduate from needing this. The Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist that's ever been known on the earth, this guy needed other people to come around him and to pick him up. We need this. We're called to push each other towards Christ. We're called to comfort each other in difficulty. We're called to challenge each other when we're getting off. We're called to give each other the courage to continue on in our faith. We're called to give each other the courage to continue on. So for me, I shared some of my spiritual battles a couple minutes ago. And the first time was when I came back and, or actually when I, I gave my heart to Jesus in 2011 and really started following God. You know, I experienced more of the Holy Spirit and then these other believers came around and began to question it. But for me, what got me through that was my home church pastor, Pastor Rich, who I'm hoping he'll come preach here in the spring. I'm going to ask him soon. He's amazing. Like, seriously, the coolest guy ever. But anyways, I called him on the phone. I was like, hey, what's going on here? They're telling me this isn't biblical. Can you walk me through this? And Pastor Rich just so graciously walked me through it over the phone. And I saw it in the scripture. I'm like, yes, that's definitely true. That's in the Bible. Why not for me today? Because it's in the scriptures. And Pastor Rich gave me the courage to continue on in the things that God was doing in my life. And the second time, when I came back in 2015, something profound that happened. There's this loneliness that God let me go through. You know, in Matthew 4, when Jesus goes to the wilderness, it says that the Spirit led him out into the wilderness. So the Spirit takes us into these seasons at times. And it was a wilderness season for me, although amazing things were happening in Chi Alpha. There's this thing that began to happen as Matt uh, McClellan and Lebensky and Mackenzie and Rachel, and my wife, obviously, and, and Taylor, and these different people began to get closer to us. And we began to have these people who we could lean on. And all of a sudden, we had a staff team. It came out of nowhere. And just some friends who began to come alongside what God is doing here at UNI. And they said, we're in this with you. And ever since then, I can be honest, I haven't felt lonely ever since then. Like, if anything, I want more alone time. Okay, because I have these great friends who we spend all this time together. It's amazing. Sometimes I just want to play video games, all right? All right, anybody else? All right. But God brought them into my life. He brought community into my life. I believe that community takes the teeth out of the devil. 
community takes the teeth out of the devil. Satan was attacking me, and God said, I'm going to send my people to come alongside you. And God wants to do the same thing in your life. You're all being attacked in some way at this point. There's something attacking you. There's some type of temptation or wrong teaching or something that's attacking, maybe sexual impurity. And God wants you to grab some people and say, hey, I need you. I need your help. God wants you to grab some people. So for the rest of our time, I'm just going to go through the, I think it was five or six different things I shared of how Satan attacks us and then share how community can counteract those things. So here's the counterpunches of community. All right, Satan attacks, but community helps us counterpunch. All right, first thing, temptation and sin. The counterpunch to that is confession. When we're tempted, we need a friend on speed dial or a friend in your favorites on the iPhone that you can call and get prayer from. And these people can give us the power to overcome, to say no to these temptations. Maybe it's a Friday night and you're trying to get out of the drinking scene and you're tempted to go. And I know this is hard to do when you really want to go, but call a friend in Kyle and say, hey, I'm just feeling tempted. Can you pray for me? I promise you if someone prays for you not to do it, you're probably not going to go party right after that. You might, but I don't think you will because the Holy Spirit will begin to convict your heart. So we need these friends on speed dial who we can call. And then when we do fall into sin, because it happens, it happens to all of us, we need people who we can go and confess to. We need people who we can say, not just like, hey, I screwed up. I need to get out of hell free card this week. No, instead, like we say, hey, I, I blew it, and I want to reject this sin. I don't want this in my life. That's what true confession is. That's what true repentance is. But James 5.16, I love this verse. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need to be vulnerable with our friends and, and honest about where we're at. Sin grows best in the dark. Sin grows best in the dark. If you keep it hidden, it's going to keep growing. It's just going to tangle your life, I promise you. I've never known someone who, who kept their sin in the dark and they conquered it on their own. I don't think it's ever happened in the history of the world. Sin grows best in the dark, but then when it's brought out to the light, it like withers up and dies. Like when you bring it out to the light in community and in front of God, it just begins to wither. It loses its power. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. So if you're keeping sins from people, if you're not confessing your sins, if you're keeping them in your heart and just hiding them, then you lie and you don't practice the truth. I said last week, the Apostle John is feisty. He's feisty. All right, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not inside of us. If you say you don't have sin, then you deceive yourself. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 9, this is amazing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful. He's just. He keeps his promises. If you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive you. So tonight, some sins need to come to the light so you can be forgiven. I pray that you would do that tonight. I pray that you would stop trying to conquer it on your own, but after service that you would go to the response team or go to a friend and share the sins that have been entangling your life over these past few months or few weeks. God is calling you to bring your sin to light and to receive forgiveness and freedom. Let's take the teeth out of the devil tonight. He wants to conquer you in that way. And that leads me to the second thing. You know, we talked about shame. Shame, like, or Satan tries to tell us, does God really love you? If you're really struggling with that, could God love you? 
So community counterpunches against shame by reminding each other of our identity in Christ. So when we fall into sin, we need people who can look us in the eyes and they can remind us, they can say, Daniel, you're a son. They can say, Daniel, you are a son of God. He has not changed his mind about you. He has not changed his mind. It doesn't matter if you totally blew it last night. He has not changed his mind. He loves you just as much as he did when he was on the cross, just as much as he did when uh, you put your faith in him, just as much as he's going to when he sees you face to face in eternity. Jesus still loves you. He still calls you a son. He still calls you a daughter. We need people who will quote Romans 8, 1 to us. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. You need to have some of those moments where someone grabs your face and says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation. Take that to the bank. That's in the scriptures. That's true. There's no condemnation. If you put your faith in Jesus, there's, there's no charge that Satan can bring against you. There's no accusation that he can bring against you. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation. But all of us forget that, including myself. So I need people in my life who will look at me when I have tears in my eyes, when I'm feeling that shame, that say, Daniel, God has not changed his mind about you. All right, the third thing is other gods, as I said. And we need community. The counterpunch of community is our community holds us accountable. Our community calls us to the carpet. They challenge us. Do you... Or do you have people in your life who hold you accountable? Do you allow people to tell you when you're off? If you don't, then you need to get some of these people. Like, you know those people, they're just blunt. They're like, I'm telling you how it is, all right? I'm going to tell you, you screwed up. You need those people in your life. You need people who are going to hold you accountable and say, dude, you're totally missing it right now. You're totally missing it. There needs to be people who do that in love. We speak the truth in love, obviously. You don't just yell at each other. Don't do that. Small groups should not be a boxing match. But instead, we do need people, though, who say, hey, I've seen this in your life. What's going on? Can you talk to me about that? We need that. Uh, So Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 3, he says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Rebuke him. We need more rebuking in this place. We've fallen really soft in our culture. Someone needs to rebuke us once in a while. And if he repents, forgive him. We need more repentance in this place. Because that's where forgiveness is found. <laughs> Accountability needs to happen in any biblical community. It's not an option. It needs to happen. If you're going to be all that God's called you to be, then you need some people who are going to make you uncomfortable once in a while. But then you can do the same thing back to them. You're like, yo, I saw this in your life too. Take the log out of your eye. All right? Obviously, this happens in love. For me, when I lived in Minnesota for a couple years, I had this friend named John Matta. And this guy has a beard. He just doesn't care what anyone thinks about him. And he's just a stud, all right? I totally love this guy. But there'll be times, you know, something I struggle with just being born with. Sometimes I like to talk a lot. And I'll talk about people. Like, not, like, like not from a malicious place, but it'll just happen. Like, hey, do you hear what happened with this? And John, every time I try to do that, he'd say, that's not appropriate. You don't need to do that. I'm like, bro, now I feel awkward. <laughs> I thought we were going to talk about this. But then I would realize, because the Holy Spirit would speak, be like, John's right. John's right. You need to stop that gossiping. And I'd say, John, I feel really awkward, but you're right. Can we move on now from this? He's like, yep, we move on talk about something else. But we need sometimes where people will make us feel uncomfortable. We need that to happen. It's not fun when John does that to me. He'd do it today. I haven't seen him in a year, but he'd do it today. This is the way he is. He's very blunt. And we need those people in our lives who are willing to call us to the carpet. All right, the fourth thing is wrong priorities, busyness, and indifference that Satan tries to attack us with. So the counterpunch of community is we stir each other up. We need people who stir us up in the Lord, people 
who push us closer to Jesus. People who are so stinking passionate about Jesus that we're like, I just want to catch up to them. I got to catch up to them. Like they're going so hard for God. There's two people on our worship team tonight. I won't say their names because I'm not going to toot their horns. But they are sick as a dog and they both came tonight because they just love Jesus and they're playing their instruments. Like we need those kind of people who are willing to do hard things that are going to stir us up and be like, hey, I'm going to do that next time I'm sick. You know, when I get sick, I don't preach. Actually, there's one time that I did because I had to. As a guest speaker at a church, there's no other option. But for the most part, I'm like, hey, I've got to stay home. But there needs to be people in our lives who stir us up. Tonight, they stirred me up. I was like, wow, that passion, that's amazing. Like they're willing to sacrifice, to be here, to be part of what God is doing. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame. So Paul's talking to his younger brother in the faith, Timothy. He reminds him to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Guys, we need Paul's in our life. We're going to say, stir it up. Fan that into flame. You have a gift inside you. Fan that stinker into flame. Fan it into flame. We need someone who's going to like kind of get the coals of our hearts on fire. We need those people in our life, people who will stir us up. And the last thing is false teaching. So how do we correct this? How do we counterpunch with community? We go and we look at the Word of God together, and we say whatever the Word of God says, that's the truth. If we're going to say the Word of God is our foundation, it's our authority. So even if we disagree, the Word of God is right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, I think it's important to read this again. Paul says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul gave instructions right before these two verses on how to avoid this. He says this in verses 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. There's that rebuke word again. I know it's scary. And exhort with complete patience in teaching. He says, if you want to avoid false teaching, then preach the word of God. And no matter what people think of it, and no matter if it offends people, you must preach the word. So we need to do that in our community. That's what we do on Tuesdays. We preach the word. That's what we do in small groups. We preach the word. We do it in conversations, in one-on-one conversations. We preach the word to each other. It's both my responsibility and your responsibility to preach the word as you and to hold it as the highest priority in the high and as our foundation as you interact with these scriptures. All right, so the worship team will come up. We're going to close here in a couple minutes. You just drank from a fire hose. How's it feel? Feeling good? Feeling satisfied? Come on. The counterpunches of community. All right, so the main idea tonight is this again. We're called to follow Jesus together while continually encouraging each other, or one another, towards Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus together. That's been the heart of this series, right? Continually encouraging one another towards Jesus. We should be stirring each other up. We should be pushing each other towards Jesus. We should be there for each other through thick and thin. So some of you came here tonight, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you haven't quite committed to a community yet. I pray tonight that you'd be compelled by this picture of community. And I pray that you would dive in, whether it be here. Obviously, we'd love to have you here. We're glad you're here tonight. Or at a different campus ministry. I pray that you would 
dive into a community where people know things about you. That, like you don't just sit in a seat on a service and be like, oh, I got my service for the week. I'm good. And then leave, and then no one actually interacts with you throughout the week. But instead, be in a community where people hold you accountable, where people encourage you when you're down, where people study the scriptures with you. Dive into a community. I pray that you would commit yourself tonight. I pray that you would be committed to a community and that you would lock arm in arms with people who hold you accountable and people who push you towards Christ. I pray tonight that this picture would compel you to jump into what God has been doing for the last 2,000 years through the church. There's others of you tonight who are not following Jesus. I pray tonight that you would open yourself up to Jesus. I pray that you would allow the strongholds that Satan has put on your heart to be broken down through the Holy Spirit, that you would, because there has to be a cooperation there. You have to give in and say, all right, Jesus. And Jesus will come in and break down those strongholds, and he will be the Lord of your life. And it'll be the most amazing thing you've ever been a part of, being in a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you this tonight. I'm not going to give you an easy call, because following Jesus can end very badly. Like, look at Paul. Dude was stoned, all right? Not the fun stone. He was stoned. Checking if you're awake. But Paul was stoned in all seriousness. Paul was beaten. Paul was put in prison. Paul ultimately was killed for his faith. Peter was crucified upside down. These men and women faced terrible, terrible fates when they followed Jesus. So I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy. He's going to challenge you. There's going to be times you read the word of God, you're like, I do not agree with that. I do not agree with that. But you know that Jesus is worthy. And you know that Jesus loved you so much that you're willing to submit to it. And you're willing to say, God, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And you're willing to follow him even when it's hard, even when your friends are all walking away from their faith, even when you get tempted with money and sex and all these different things. You say, I'm going to follow Jesus first and foremost. It's the best life you can live. It's the hardest life you can live. So tonight I invite you into that. I'm not going to try to persuade you and tell you something that's not. It's a hard call. But I pray that you would see how worthy or how amazing that call is, how how worth it it is, and tonight that you would jump into that, that you would say, I'm going to be a part of God's story. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, because Jesus on the cross. So what happened on the cross, you see how Paul's getting stoned, okay? He's getting stoned, or Satan's attacking him. And really what Jesus does on the cross is he stands between us and the stones, because each of us, it says in the Old Testament, that each of us deserve death for our sins. It says in the law, it says if you disobey these sins, then you'll be taken out of the city and you'll be stoned to death. That's pretty hard to grapple with. We can talk about that at a different time. That's what it says. So the penalty of sin is death. And Jesus says, I love you so much that even though you've disobeyed me, even though you're rebellious, I'm going to stand in front of the stones. Now all you have to do is just hide behind me, put your faith in me, trust in me, throw your life into me, and then you'll be saved. And you'll get to have eternal life. How amazing is that? It's beautiful. That's our God. The God who doesn't say, hey, try to work your way up to me, but instead he comes down to us. He says, I'm going to take your punishment. It's amazing. And finally, there's some of us tonight, you're a Christian and you're a part of this community that's probably most of you because you're here tonight. I pray tonight that you would be compelled to make this community the community that it's called to be, that you would fight together in prayer, that you would push back the darkness both in your own hearts and around us, that you would actually be in each other's lives, that you would spend time together, that you wouldn't just settle for superficial Christianity, but you would dive into this together. I pray that we'd be the people that God has called us to be, that that can't happen unless you buy in. So I pray tonight that this picture of community that's been drawn over these last few weeks, that that would compel you to make this community that's been called to be.